Uh, okay. Does this, you can walk around. I had no idea I had this freedom. Okay, sir, remind me your name. Ken, with a K, and your, your, your friend here. 60 years, wow, Ken. I, I, hey, yeah, give it up. I'm at 20. I'm catching you. Um, Ken came up to me at break, and I love it when this happens because it connects history, okay? There's just nothing sweeter than what Ken said to me. Ken came up to me at break, and he said, Todd, I, was your wife there too? I was in Waxhaw, North Carolina, when Cameron Townsend and his wife were commissioned to Russia. I was in Waxhaw, I was in the building, I was with Cameron Townsend when the commissioning happened. And I saw him leave and go to Russia. I'm like, that, he's like, I'm friends with his daughter, Grace. And I was just like, oh my goodness, how cool is that to just see? It just makes me kind of feel like I'm one step removed um, from history. So thank you for sharing that. That was uh, really encouraging. You got 40 more minutes in you? Have you guys enjoyed it? I hope so. I hope so. Uh, Thank you so much. And um, I had for the first time for lunch something called the haystack. They said we're having a haystack. And I'm like, a prayer meeting? I seriously thought prayer meeting. And he's like, no, we're having a food called haystack. I was like, "I, I didn't know Samuel Mills had a dish named after him. You guys are way beyond me. Um... You know, one of the things we need to realize, and it's interesting how this hasn't trickled down, is that we need people who are goers, and we need people who are senders. And for some reason, the average Christian, it feels like when they think of missions, they're just like, well, if I'm not a goer, I'm not involved. William Carey, 1792, stands up in front of his church and says, I am going to India. And I am sailing to India, and going to India is like being lowered into a well, a dark well. I will be blinded in this well, not knowing what awaits. And he looks out onto his congregation, he says, I will go to India if someone holds the rope and Andrew Wallace stands up and says, I will hold the rope, Carrie, until the day I die. In Andrew Wallace's living room that November, the first mission agency is started. Andrew spends the next 20 years rallying people to help support, fund, and mobilize others to go with Carrie. We need... Those who go down into the well, the rescuer, and we need the rope holder. So you're either a rescuer or a rope holder. And the odds are, if you're in here this afternoon, you're a rope holder. And so they're both so important. And when you hold the rope, when you hold the rope, or you're a rescuer, another word for this is just the global Christian. We serve a global God. We need to be global Christians. And again, this affects how we act, think, pray, and believe. A global Christian, I just say, it's people who's had the aha moment. Maybe you spent a summer overseas and you had the aha moment. Maybe you heard from a missionary and you had the aha moment. But a global Christian is just someone who has discovered the truth and needs of God's unfulfilled global purpose to reach all peoples. We, we serve a global God, we should all be global Christians. But again, how many Christ followers are like, well, I'm not a rescuer, so I'm not involved. A friend of mine says, God needs the arrows, but he also needs the bows. And so maybe this season of your life, you're a bow. You're launching those arrows out. You're helping fund, pray for, and mobilize. When you think about a global Christian, I've kind of boiled it down as simply as I can to just five habits. So when you think about your life, just think about these five habits, the five habits of a global Christian. 
So some in this room, you are ready physically and financially able to go and be a goer. Like you're ready. God's calling you. you have, you're going to raise support. But some of you are going to be welcomers. The nations are here, okay? I mean, you got headquartered. I just passed Schmuckers, okay? Is that how you say it? Schmuckers? Smuckers. I just passed Smuckers in Orwellville. Do you guys even know what I'm talking about? I've never heard of Smuckers. Um, you got... Um, uh, the campus, a branch of Ohio State. You've got Wooster, uh, Wooster College. Is that right? Am I saying it wrong? <laughs> Worcester, Worcester. You got Worcester. Um, you got you have. And man, when you think about the nations that are here, I mentioned it this morning. It's like I, you don't even have to cross an ocean anymore to reach the ten forty window. They're here. They're here. The prayer. I mean, John Mott didn't have the prayer resources we have. Cameron Townsend didn't have the access of praying for the world that we have. Cinder, oh my goodness, the cinder are those who are financially seeing these, the, the goers launched. And then the mobilizer. Behind every missionary is a mobilizer. And so John Mott never saw himself as a missionary. John Mott was a mobilizer. Samuel Mills never saw himself as a missionary. Samuel Mills felt like he was a mobilizer. And so maybe for you, your gifting is not necessarily crossing an ocean learning a language. Your gifting is being able to come alongside your friend in your Bible study, your small group, and say, hey, let's read this book together about God's heart for the world. Let's study scriptures on missions. Let's pray for these uh, missionaries from our church. Let's encourage others. Let's look for international students that we can invite over for Thanksgiving. Maybe you're a mobilizer taking someone from zero to zealot and encouraging them. So we're just going to start, I just want to spend the remainder of our time talking through these five and just asking the question, how are we doing? How are we doing? Which ones are you like, man, I'm pretty good at that. Well, I'm not, I've never even thought of that. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will just bring some practical application in our own life, whether it's things to do with your kids or things to do with your family or things to do within your company or business. When you think about the goer, here's a conversation God has with Moses and um, I've underlined how many times God mentions himself, and the answer is nine. This is an interesting conversation. I have heard, I, I indeed have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. When we hear this conversation, it's ironic that it's a nine-to-one ratio. Only one time God mentions Moses. Nine-to-one. 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 But yet, guess what Moses does? The very thing we all do. <laughs> I mean, wait a minute, Lord. Uh, no. Who am I? I mean, this, we always turn inward, don't we? And we're like, uh... Who am I? And what you realize is God's not interested in our abilities. He's interested in our availability. Because watch what God does. He looks at Moses and he says, it's not about you. It's not about you. I will be with you. And that promise of his presence, if you were to study this phrase, I will be with you, Genesis 12, Abram, I will be with you. Genesis 26, Isaac, I'll be with you. Genesis 28, Jacob, I'll be with you. Solomon, build the temple, I'll be with you. Joshua, go into the land, I will be with you. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you. So the promise of his presence is what drives us. But as if you heard this morning, my time in Canada, there is a ton of but whatabouts. Okay, so when you start to step out and, and, and begin to walk in like, hey, how can I really be living for the mission of God? You will be bombarded with the but whatabouts. Okay, I've mentioned some. Here's some top five, I will call these. What happens when... You want to go to China, but your spouse wants to go to counseling. That's a problem. Marriage, family, debt, I have no call, support raising. 
And so if you just had five minutes on each of these, how would you overcome these obstacles? Okay? I mean, as soon as you start mobilizing people to involvement in the mission of God, you will be told these five. Family. What do you do when God says go and family says no? When God says go and family says no. Um, Here's what Jesus says. I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. A man's enemies will be the member of his own house. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Uh, University of Arkansas, I live about a mile from the campus. Every Wednesday, I have 22 guys in a Bible study. We're studying the book of Acts. Wednesday at 9.30, I was at a coffee shop with one of my guys. He looks at me and he says, I want to change my major from finance to teaching so that when I graduate, I can teach conversation English in North Africa. But my parents said to me, if I change my major, they're going to stop paying for college. So I think I'm stuck. This happens all the time. So I looked at him and I said, Connor, type out, get out your phone and write this down. So he got out his phone and I said, just write this down, write this quote down. Oswald J. Smith says this, following Christ affects two people, the one following and the one who loves the one following. Following Christ affects two people. My dad is not a Christ follower. He had expectations on me. And when I decided to follow Christ, I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to take me here, and I'm going to say no to this. And it affected me, but it also affected the people who loved me, because they're like, wait a minute, this is not our expectation. Following Christ affects two people, the one following and then the one who loves the one following. I have found the older you get, the harder it gets with your family, because suddenly now they have health needs. And they're like, well, wait a minute, you, you want to go to Africa now? I feel like you're bailing. Marriage. Again, here's an email we received not too long ago. I just want to let you know I came across your website today at 18. I spent a summer in student missions and knew at the end of that summer that God wanted me in missions work. But then I met a guy and basically sold God out just to get married. I'm now 41 and have regretted that decision in so many ways. Please keep telling young people that the day to minister for Christ is today, not tomorrow, next semester, next year. And tell them to never, ever, ever let any person or anything deter you from the mission that God has placed in your heart. I'm speaking from experience. So last Monday, I was at Texas Tech speaking to a couple hundred college students, and I looked out and I said this. They're all single. And I said to them this. I said, God saves the best for those who leave the choice to him. God saves the best for those who leave the choice to him. And so for those in here who are not married, I want you to take that and just think about that because so many of your friends are like, I got to be married by 25, otherwise I'm going to freak. But just know God saves the best who leaves the choice to him. What about this one, debt? Oh, wow, especially college debt. Like, um, how do you encourage a university student who gets a degree, wants to use it overseas, but they can't because they're 30000 in debt? What I tell students, as we talk to students all the time, I tell young adults, don't look at the 30000 Go in the academic advisor's office. $30,000 is really about 300 a month. Don't let 300 a month keep you from following God. If, if God has you going overseas, don't just like, I got to wait to pay off my debt. You can actually, eight mission agencies will allow you to raise it. <clears throat> mission agencies will allow you to raise it. If you want to just think, just jot this website down if you're interested. If you have anybody who's like, wow, you might, if you know anybody who might want to go overseas, but they have debt, collegiate debt. A friend of mine named Luke Womack started a ministry called the GoFund, GoFund.org. He raises $200,000 a year. He has a conference in D.C. and a conference in L.A. He raises $200,000 a year. If you're going to the unreached for two years or more, you apply to the GoFund. If you get accepted, they pay your school debt monthly, 100% of it. So the Crabtrees, who I told you about, were the Wantakias, 
both him and his wife had $625 of school debt from University of Arkansas. The GoFund pays the check $620 a month to University of Arkansas for the crab trees. Again, they have to be going to the unreached for two years or more. What an incredible ministry. When I talked to Luke Womack, I'm like, how did God put this on your heart? You're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars just to pay out people's debt. He's like, Todd, school debt is like one of the top obstacles of why people won't go overseas. School debt. He's like, I just want to say, what if we took that off the table completely? The GoFund. Brilliant. What about this one? Oh, I don't know if I'm called. I don't know if I'm called. You know, I like to ask people, I like to tell people, hey, what would a call look like if it came? Well, maybe my church would host a one-day mission event. And maybe I go. Maybe I take notes. Maybe I like the speaker. Maybe I buy his book. Maybe I take it home and read it. Maybe I get online and start praying for the world. Maybe I sign up for a short-term mission trip through my church. Maybe I go. Maybe I come back. Maybe I meet with more missionaries. Maybe I finish college. Maybe I decide, wow, I think I want to go. I mean, seriously, what does a call look like if it came? I love asking people that because they're always like, oh, Gabriel at night. And they're like, really? You think that? Well, yeah, maybe. When you look at Scripture, there's really three types of callings. There's three types of calling in Scripture, okay? The first calling is the one that we normalize, okay? The first calling is called the mysterious call. The mysterious call, listen to this. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So, if you're looking at a map of the world, if you're looking down at a map of the world, Paul's in Turkey, and he wants to take the gospel right to Asia. But at night, in in Turkey, he has a vision of God saying there's a man in Macedonia Cross the Aegean Sea, turn left, go 156 miles out of your way to Macedonia. Now, if you, line, if you were to interview 100 missionaries, which we have, if you were to interview 100 missionaries and ask the question, how many of you have had a mysterious call? Four out of 100 is what we found. Four out of 100. Not many. Four out of 100. One guy, Judd, is like, I had a dream of a flag. I woke up in the middle of the night and Googled flags of the world. I, found the, I just found the flag and my, me and my wife moved there. I was like, crazy. Crazy. Four out of 100. Not many, but what happens? We as Christians are like, well, unless this happens, we normalize this. Let me say this, Paul's call to salvation, he was on a horse on his way to Damascus, heard the voice of the living Lord, fell off and scales on his eyes emerged. I don't look at you and say, oh, you came to Christ at a summer camp? Yeah, that's not really a good way to do it. Have you heard of Paul's conversion? That's more normal. We don't, what I'm saying is we don't normalize Paul's call to salvation, but how many Christians normalize his call to missions? And we normalize this call to missions because we know it's probably not going to happen to us and it's going to let me off the hook. The second type of calling is called the commission call. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. They're not even thinking of going on a mission trip. That's not in their idea. They're not thinking of taking the gospel uh, to, to, to the Turkey and North Africa. But at Antioch, the Holy Spirit speaks to the leadership, go over to Paul and Barnabas, put your hands on them, and send them on their first mission trip. This is called the commission call. Unfortunately, many churches are not commissioning people out. They're just reactionary. So four out of 100 have had the commission call. Mathematically, that means four out of 100 have had the mysterious call. Four out of 100 have had the the commission call. That means 92% of all missionaries that we met with fell into the third category of calling. I looked at a map of the world. I asked God where no one was going, and I volunteered. 
And then a huge hurdle. God might have you join a nonprofit and raise support. You know who raised support in the Bible? Jesus. The man who caused coins to come out of fish's mouth and who multiplied bread took money from women to support his ministry. Paul the Apostle picks up on this idea of Jesus raising support and says, if you're a full-time minister, there's a body of believers, a community of believers that wants to give to you to free you up to do what you need to do. So some in this room are going to need to spend three to five months inviting others to join you, investing in you so that you can be freed up to, to do God's work. Support raising is not unbiblical. It can just be un-American. There's a girl named Molly in my wife's Bible study. Every Monday night, my wife has 20 girls come over to her house, and she's taking them through a book of the Bible. And Molly is a senior. And uh, probably three weeks ago, she sat on our couch, and I left the room just to give my wife and her time. And Molly said, I feel like I should move to the Middle East. But I have a younger brother, and I'm going to miss his life growing up. I have school debt that I don't know how to deal with. And I have fears, real fears, of being single in the Middle East. And my beautiful, wonderful rock star wife looked at Molly and said this. Molly... I can't take away your obstacles. Your obstacles are always going to be there. But with great obstacles comes even greater privilege. You don't get the privilege without the obstacles. You don't get the privilege without the obstacles. It is a privilege to serve God in the Muslim world speaking Arabic to women who would never hear of Christ. But oh, the obstacles. Oh, the obstacles. You don't get the obstacles without the privilege. So, man, we need people who will be goers. You look at the 1040 window, we need people who will be goers. We need people who will be welcomers. The nations are here. I mean, again, I mentioned Wooster. College, the branch of Ohio State. We just surpassed one million students studying here. Listen to this verse in Acts. Oh, this is so good. This is such a good verse in Acts. Paul the Apostle is preaching a message to people in Athens, and he says this. This is in the middle of his sermon. He says, and I'll just say it probably as he did, from one man he made every nation. From one man he made every nation a man that they should inhabit the whole earth. He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Why did God do this, you ask? God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps maybe reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. Look at this. God sets the exact places. He determines the times and the exact places where men should live. You are at the grocery store and you turn around and you see a Muslim from Cairo, Egypt. And you think, how in the world did this Muslim in 2019 get to my city, to my grocery store, and stand behind me? How did that even, what went into this, what went into everything in her life that brought her here now? And God did this, why? That you might turn around, introduce yourself to her, Get her number, invite her over. Why? That you might share the gospel, that she might seek and perhaps reach out for God. 
but instead, every Christ follower you know never even says hello. Well, that's a distraction. I'm on my way to practice with my kids. Here's what's ironic. Look at the top 10 nations that send their students here to study. The top 10 nations who send their students to study. Now watch this. Are you ready? Watch this. Watch this. Watch. Watch this. From the 10, from the 10, top countries take out those not from the 1040 window. From the top 10, take out the countries, and you're like, oh my goodness. God says, this is the mission I have to reach every tribe, tongue, and nation. And the the Church of America says, sorry, Lord, we're distracted. And so God says, okay, I'll send them to your neighborhoods. I'll put them on your kids' soccer teams. I'll make them your doctors, and I'll make them your neighbors. And we still say, sorry, Lord, busy. A friend of mine, a friend of mine told me this story. And uh, I told the story about K-State this morning. Spencer also went to K-State. He, he told me this story, and, and, and I've never seen Spencer get emotional, but he got emotional when he told me this story. And it kind of, it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, man, this is deep in your heart moment. He said that he was a freshman at K-State University, and he felt compelled as a Christ follower to meet some internationals. And he said he was in the student union at Starbucks studying, and he saw a Chinese student near him, and he felt like he should go over and say hi and introduce himself. He was scared and hesitant, like he didn't know what to do, but he went over. And um, him and the Chinese student had an incredible 45-minute conversation. Spencer was getting up and heading out to class, and he was like, hey, listen, give me your number. I want to be friends with you. Can we be friends? And the Chinese student's like, man, it's May. I'm a senior. I fly to Beijing in eight days. I'm never coming back. And Spencer's like, oh, man. He's like, well, take my number. If you need anything in the next eight days, Spencer knew he'd never hear from him. Literally, seven days later, he gets a text at night. Can you take me to the airport tomorrow? Spencer's like, of course. The Chinese student's like, lots of luggage emoji. And Spencer's like, SUV emoji. And um, so Spencer tells me the story. He's like, man, you know, he brought down the largest hockey bag I've ever seen. But I'd cleared out my SUV, dropped the seats down. We shoved that thing in the back, shut the door, high five. And he said, I have one more. And um, so if you've been to Manhattan, Kansas, the airport's like a mile and a half off of campus. So they just said, strap it to the top. They strapped to the top. They're taking off to the airport. And my friend Spencer's asked the Chinese student, he's like, man, what is in these bags? They're huge. And the Chinese student says, oh, they're my souvenirs. And Spencer's like, oh, my goodness, you must have a ton of friends in China who you're taking stuff back to. And he's like, no, those are my souvenirs I brought from China to give to my American friends. I made none. I made none. He tells me that with a tear down his eye. This Chinese student will never hear the gospel in China. And for four years he spent at Man- in Manhattan, Kansas. I have spoken at Manhattan, Kansas. There's 900 Christ followers every Tuesday night that meet for worship and prayer. But again, what happens? We don't look up and see the nations. We live in our isolated Christian world. All about our blessings. What about this one? Prayer. 
Prayer, oh my goodness, what John Mott, what Cameron Townsend would give for our prayer resources that we have. The one thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them, right? Jesus, of all the things, I'd have been like, how do you multiply the bread? That was amazing. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Do you realize only one prayer request is ever spoken by Jesus? Only one time Jesus says, pray this, like pray this prayer request, okay? Only one time. Only one time, he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his field. He says there's a vast amount of harvest to be harvested, and there's a vast amount of bored believers. Pray the Lord connects the two. Pray the Lord connects the two. A buddy of mine... um, Grew up in Kansas. He told me, he's like, Todd, in Kansas, crops are cash. Crops are cash. He says, crops are cash. He said that he grew up on a farm, and the, his neighboring farm, they were good friends. And he came home from college, and he realized, oh, my goodness, they're way overdue in harvesting their field. <clears throat> he said he would drive by their field and be like, harvest your crops. I mean, he would say, he drilled down, harvest your crops. Because he, he's like, you better harvest your crops. They never harvested their crops. He said, $50,000 run. He texts his dad, and he's like, Dad, why did they never harvest their crops? His dad said, oh, I found out. Yeah, they went, they went out of town. They went out, out, out of country for a while, and they paid a company to come harvest the crops. The company got, was so big, so distracted, they had so much stuff going on, they forgot. My friend, my friend who was telling me the story said this. He said, a harvest without laborers is a tragedy. A harvest without laborers is a tragedy. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. A harvest without laborers is a tragedy. Here's a great app you can download right now on your phone. I'm going to say nothing significant in the next few minutes. It's called Unreached of the Day. What you do every day, the app pops up. And it'll tell you an unreached people group. So, for example, this one, the Uyghurs of China, 11 million Uyghurs, 0.01%. And if you scroll up, it'll show you pictures of Uyghurs. It'll give you the pictures missionaries among the Uyghurs have posted and uploaded. It'll tell you prayer requests. The missionaries are praying for the Uyghurs. It'll tell you answers to prayer. It's live updates. Every morning, I have friends who set their alarm at 1040 in the morning, silent alarm, no matter where they're at, no matter what they're doing, a silent alarm goes off. They turn off the silent alarm. They then go to Unreached of the Day. They spend one minute looking through, and for the rest of the day, they're like, Lord, do something with the Uyghurs, man. Send out laborers. That night, they go to their Bible study. Hey, before we leave, can I just pray for the Uyghurs? What a great idea. What a great way. The, uh, the founder of this app is is from London. He lives in London. He called me up one day and he's like, hey, can we use some of your resources for the app? I was kind of, I was like, this is incredible. I've never seen this app before. It was just kind of in the uh, uh, starter stages. He's like, yeah, this app is incredible. You can search every day by most unreached, by least reached, by country, by region, by people group. He said, you can be in Indonesia, pull this app up and take a picture And based on the Indonesian you take a picture of, his cheekbones, his forehead, it will actually categorize what unreached people group he's from. I made that up, but that would be awesome, wouldn't it? So go grab the app. What a great app. The person who mobilizes the church to pray will make the largest contribution in history to world evangelization. We need goers. Oh, we need welcomers. We need prayers. And we need senders. What's a sender? The sender is literally someone who's helping financially support the goers. Remember the student volunteer movement in the last message? 100,000 they mobilized, but 80,000 stayed behind. During World War II, only a few, comparably, went to actually go fight. But our entire nation was mobilized. People changed their lifestyles in order to help support the front lines. David actually instituted a rule in the military for Israel. Here's what he says as a rule. The share of the man who stays with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went to battle. 
Like, you are just as vital if you're resourcing the front lines than if you're on the front lines. Paul the Apostle in Romans, how can they hear unless they're sent? Before you can even hear the gospel from the goer, you need the sender. You need the sender. But there's a problem. We have a problem. As a person who's not a goer, myself, and a sender, I'm a sender, I have a problem. And my problem is that I get my values a little mixed up and I maybe waste my money. I might waste my money. It's interesting. Here's a great quote. Here's a great quote. I'm going to give you a great quote. Are you ready? I don't think you're ready. Are you ready? More money will never make a selfish person generous. More money will never make a selfish person generous. Don't say to yourself, oh, I'll give when I have more. Whatever you have now, be generous with. And if you have more later, be generous with that. More money will never make a generous person I'm sorry, more money will never make a selfish person generous. It's so true. Did I mess that up? Um, I have a, I have a uh, I've met the guy once. His name's Alan Barnhart. He owns a crane company in Memphis, okay? I, I, I met with him once to ask him for money, and he actually said no. <laughs> Are we recording this? <laughs> um, and, you know, he said no for whatever reason. But um, what's interesting about Alan Barnhart is this. Alan Barnhart owns a crane company in Memphis, and um, he has set his salary for two decades now at 150000 He has set his salary at 150000 and um, whatever his company makes above that, he gives away. Okay, this year he gave away $22 million. This year. He's friends with the Green family who owns Hobby Lobby. He's, he helps and mentors them in how to, do, how to give away gifts. Um, he's always set his salary at $150. His son comes up to him because his son's like dying, okay? Like, Dad, are you kidding me? I could be Kanye. You know, this is nuts. What are you doing to me? And his dad's like, what do you want? I could feel, I could feel this field with Cadillac Escalades. You really want that? He's like, I want to build the kingdom of God. That is so counterculture, right? We live off what we make. That's what the normal person says. Alan Barnhart, man, my needs are met, and I'm even saving some for my kid's college. The rest I give. It's not mine. It's not mine. More money will never make a selfish person generous. My husband just signed an $89 million contract. He held out for a long while before signing, hoping the management would match the $91 million of another team. The Yankees did not budge. When I saw him walk into the house, I immediately knew that he had not succeeded in persuading them to move up from $89 million to $91 million. He felt so rejected. It was one of the saddest days of our lives. More money will never make a selfish person generous. If you want to see how blessed you are, <laughs> I, have a little, I have a little project you should do, okay? I've done it, and it shows me I make a ton of money, okay? It, you want to see how much money I make? This is crazy. Go to this website, okay, at your own convenience. You're welcome to do it now if you want. And uh, type in how much you and your spouse makes a year. It, 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 it takes the 7.1 billion people breathing and it shows you the exact number of the richest person in the world you are. It's called the Global Rich List. I did it and it was like Brad Pitt, me. I mean, I was right there, 
I was right there. It was amazing. Okay, so Global Rich List, and, and it just shows you that it's like, I did it. I, I typed in how much my wife and I make, and it was like, congratulations, you're in 0.4% of the richest people in the world. 0.4%. That's incredible. Then I typed in that we make $1,000 a year. Congratulations, you're still in the top 30% of the richest people in the world. Then I did 500 a year. Congratulations, you're still in the top 50% of the richest people in the world. See, what I, my, the problem I have, and I know you guys don't deal with this, but the problem I have is I only compare myself to those who make more money than me. So the Fergusons, the Fergusons, my best friends growing up, they, he hit the jackpot. He is so wealthy. And he, his vacation is a weekend in Paris. My, my vacation is the Ark. I already told you this, okay? And so... I look at my savings and my lifestyle and I'm like, man, I'm just, I need to catch the Fergusons. Like, I have nothing. I never compare myself to those who make less than me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, I am so blessed. Instead, I only compare myself with those who make more than me and it makes me a selfish person. It does. It makes me, I have an app on, you don't, you're not gonna believe me. I, you're going to say, this is crazy. I'm going to tell you this only because I'm leaving here in three minutes and you can think of me what you want. I, you're going to be like, what? I have an app on my phone where I look at it definitely once a day, maybe two times a day, and it shows me my savings. And I look at it and I'm like, oh my God. Grow, little guy, grow, grow. Grow. And then I'll go somewhere, I'll turn it off, and then the next day I'll come back and I'll be like, you're not going to believe this. There's times in my life where I look at the app of my savings even before I've even read my Bible. You're going to be like, what? I know. Grow. I've just, I learn, I just caress my, I just hold it close. My savings. And, 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 yet God has called me to be a generous person. But I love my money more than supporting missions. And I've got this rainy day attitude. Oh, you know, I just got six kids. I need at least 50K in the bank. Minimum. Minimum. Cash ready. And I don't give. I don't give. It's so hard. I think I'm addicted to money. I know you guys are like, dude, you're, this is crazy talk. It's, it's true. Did I tell you I have an app for my savings? Did I tell you I look at it even before the Bible? So I have to believe you guys are right there with me in a lot of this. And just know, more money will never make a selfish person generous. And then behind every missionary, there's a mobilizer. We've got to have, maybe you're not going to be a missionary, but guess what? Maybe you're going to raise up three. Maybe you're going to raise up three. I would like to introduce a guest. I have some friends here. I don't have many friends in Wooster. So I get this email from a couple, and they're like, hey, Todd. We heard you speak, how long ago? Spring. I won't tell you who they are. Um, we, they heard me speak in the spring. They're from Akron. And uh, 
I, he emails me, Adam and Lauren, wave, Adam and Lauren. And Adam's like, hey, Todd, we heard you speak in the spring. Man, we were just, you know, whatever it was. We applied to go to like Sri Lanka and Burma with an organization. And so we're in the process, and we live in Akron. And we just, if you're ever speaking in the near future around us, just let us know. We want to come see you and, and, and learn more. And, of course, I'm always like, well, that'll never happen because I'm never around this area. And then I realized, wait a minute. My Ohio geography, though old and senile, where is Apple Creek to Akron? And I typed in Google. There's this thing called Google Maps. And I typed it in. And, Adam, how long did it take you? About 45 minutes. I sent him an email back. Adam, guess what? I'll be in Wooster. He's like, I've heard of Wooster, but I've never heard of Wooster. And I said, he, him and his wife, okay, see, this is how well I know him. So at 4 o'clock, he gives me a hug in the hallway. How cool is that? And so I just, it's, you know, I'm never going to get to go to Burma and Sri Lanka and plant a church. But through your influence... You can, you can. By you, there are people in your life who only you can mobilize. They're not going to listen to me. They love you. They know you. They see your faith. A mobilizer is someone who says, man, I have a passion for the world and a passion to pass it on. That's a mobilizer. And so I would encourage you, in your mind, think this. How can I become a better mobilizer? What resources could I buy? Could I read? What, what, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to do to become a better mobilizer? I would encourage you. Habakkuk, what a great verse. The Lord answered Habakkuk and said, write the vision down and record it because another person's going to read it and respond. This is a mobilizer. Habakkuk was to, the vision wasn't even for Habakkuk. He was just a conduit for the vision. Write the vision down because someone else is going to respond. I would encourage you, man, take the best of today. Maybe it's some verses. Maybe it's the 1040 window. Meet with a friend who doesn't even go to church here. Maybe they're a Christ follower and they don't even care. And just say, man, here's some of the stuff we're going through at Fairlawn. Would you want to join with me as I read this book, as I study this? Would you want to, I'm going to pray for an international student. When I meet one, can we meet up together with you? Don't. Keep mission's vision in isolation. Every Christian should be a global Christian. Not every Christian should be a missionary. I'm not saying that. I'm saying every Christian should be a global Christian. But because there's new believers coming into Fairlawn, every global Christian needs to be a mobilizer. Every global Christian, you need those tools to be a mobilizer. When you meet a Christ follower, make it your goal to say, wow, within six months, I'd love to pray in them mission's vision. I'd love to encourage them. I'd love to, I'd love to help them mature and affirm the vision God has given and course correct them on the mission of God. World evangelization requires the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. We're all apart. You're either a rescuer or you're a what? Rope holder. Pastor, you want to conclude our thoughts and times here? Thank you. Well, Todd, thank you so much for coming and challenging us. Uh, like I said at the beginning, what are one or two things that you can write down right now that you can think about, I can begin to do this. If you're, if you're a parent of young children, one of the most simplest things you can do is you can be, begin to, to introduce them to uh, unreached people groups. You know, that, that app that, that Todd shared is a great way to do that. There are other tools that you can use to introduce your children to, uh, to unreached people groups and to missionaries. Maybe it's putting five bucks a week away um, and supporting a missionary that you know. I'm beginning to pray about that. And maybe it's joining you know, right now back in our teen center. There's an international Bible study happening uh, with international students. Uh, 
you know, maybe it's getting connected with, um, with the OERDC. There's about 150 students up there. Um, maybe that's one way you can do it. But, but, but I think for all of us going home and, and thinking of one thing that you can begin to do tomorrow or tonight um, and starting to do that. Because what happens is, you know, you get a guy like Todd who's an incredible speaker. He comes in, we get all excited. We go home and then Monday happens. And we forget about everything that we learned or heard. And so just, just think of one thing that you can do starting today to be a mobilizer. And the other thing is maybe you're sitting here today and, and God is really impressing upon your heart this need to go, to be a goer. Um, don't be afraid of that. And parents... Make sure you encourage your children to consider um, being goers. That's a hard thing, um, but we need to start now with what is next for each one of us. Todd, thank you so much for coming. Uh, it's been a really good day. Let me close with prayer, and then you can uh, consider yourselves dismissed. Father, uh, thanks for just being reminded today of faithful men and women who were willing to sacrifice and give everything to take the gospel to people who don't know, who didn't know. Thank you for faithful men and women who, um, who followed hard after you. And now, Father, may we, um, as a people in 2019, Join you in, in taking the gospel to the nations. And may we all be faithful in, in just doing our part to not become overwhelmed by the immensity of the work, but just to do our part, the thing you call us to. And as we, as we leave here, Father, would you just give us strength and courage to, to be obedient to what you have for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight for, uh, for this time, and be blessed as you go.